everyone and welcome to this special podcast from Melbourne's RuxCon Breakpoint Security Conference. I'm Patrick Gray. This podcast is a joint production between The Register and Risky.biz and it's brought to you by Packet Loop, big data security, post-exploitation detection in the cloud. Head to packetloop.com and sign up for the beta. And of course, if you'd like to subscribe to our security podcast, head over to risky.biz slash feeds. You're about to hear an interview I did with Eric Muscle Nerd McDonald. Eric is a renowned iPhone jailbreaker and as such has a very detailed understanding of smartphone platforms. His talk at RuxCon Breakpoint was all about the security of baseband chipsets. If you follow this stuff, you might well know that the baseband chipsets in these smartphones, in, in the case of an iPhone that's Qualcomm, uh, they handle all of the basic communications functions of the phone and they're actually quite sophisticated. And where there's sophistication, there are potential security problems. As you'll hear, there's research going into attacking baseband chipsets through two vectors, directly through the cell network if you control it, or if you can trick your target's handset into associating with your fake network, uh, or indeed you can attack it through the OS, you can attack these chipsets through the OS. It's very interesting stuff, so here's my interview with Eric McDonald. So why don't you just describe to us uh, roughly what a baseband system is i mean as i understand it it's just a sort of subsystem that ships with these uh, uh devices which is takes care of all of the mechanics of placing phone calls sending data all of that sort of stuff it's like the interface between the th- you know the phone networks and the phone os right yeah exactly i mean it's it's similar to uh you know a lot of times when you have a lot of uh, intensive cpu intensive stuff you don't want to task the main cpu with it so you need a whole separate subsystem, a whole separate CPU to take care of everything sort of in the real time that it needs to be taken care of. It's a lot like a graphics coprocessor in, a, in an older older PC. You don't, wanna, you don't want the real PC CPU to be doing all the heavy stuff. You want to offload that. And uh, how much code is actually involved in these subsystems? I mean, your talk was just about Qualcomm, and I imagine the, the Qualcomm stuff is used in a lot of different handsets, isn't it? I mean, ha- how much of an operating system do these baseband chipsets actually have? I mean, it's a full operating system. It's a, it's a very different kind of operating system. It's a, it's a real-time operating system that has uh, very specific schedules that it needs to meet because otherwise you drop calls and you drop, and you drop a lot of comms with the, with the tower. Remember, the base of your phone is going in and out of cell phone, out of tower ranges, so it needs to be able to react quickly and with the, with the finite uh, time. So there's probably, overall, there's probably about 70 different programs that are running at any, any given time in the baseband, but they're fixed. You don't it doesn't start. It doesn't load a new program, you know, from disk or anything like that. They all start up at, at, at power up, and they all run until until the system comes out. Now, obviously, the baseband chipsets on these devices are pretty appealing targets because you know they're, they're you know if you can get some badness into these chipsets, the OS can't see it, uh, from what I understand. But how feasible is it to actually attack baseband chipsets? Well, it's kind of it works both ways. I mean, you're right. The the, uh, the baseband, since it's working on its own, it doesn't. It can't push stuff over into the main CPU, right? It it knows how to deal with the traffic that it's, it's meant to deal with. It can't voluntarily push. You know, it can't on its own push stuff into the memory or somehow affect the main CPU. You want isolation there. You don't want the baseband to bring down the the main CPU, and you don't want the CPU to bring down the baseband. So there's a purposeful wall there that that stops that kind of uh, transfer. Now you can. The nice thing about it is it's it's. Um, 
I think, like you were alluding to, it, it's um, sort of under the radar, right? If something does come in over the network and does take advantage of a hole or an exploit in the baseband, uh, you're not, the baseband's not going to notice it. Uh, the, C the main CPU is not going to notice it. It's just not looking out for that kind of a thing. So it's kind of like a perfect place for a virus, um, where, whereas a normal virus would come in through ads or through HTML pages on, on the main CPU. In theory, you can send something in through the network to, to surreptitiously, uh, uh, you know, start spying on a, on, a, on a subject. So I imagine the segregation between the baseband and the OS is actually pretty effective because it's, there, it's you know, the baseband stuff is performing, as far as the OS is concerned, performing fairly simple tasks. Uh, but what would an attacker be able to do if they got control of the baseband chipset? Uh, well, uh, uh, Ralph, Ralph uh, Wienerman had a very good uh, exploit a couple of years ago where he was, uh, he was able to, and this is, a, this is uncommon that something so, so obvious uh, could be taken advantage of, but he was able to turn on the, um, the speaker phone, on the, the speaker part of the phone um, over the network so he could turn on your mic and start listening to your, to your uh, to you. <laughs> through, through a baseband exploit. And, and how was that exploit delivered? Was that something that was delivered sort of through the OS or was it delivered through the network? I mean, how did that work? He was sending, he was basically getting, uh, he was sending it through the network through, with custom packets. So he basically had to uh, own a mini, uh, a base station basically, or, or micro or microcell. So he had to uh, craft special packets to send to the baseband. But it tricked the baseband into, into uh, flipping some, some, exercising some commands that normally are dormant. And I'm not even sure why the commands are there to, to do this sort of thing. But, uh, so, so if you had like a hacked femtocell or something like that, you might be able to start probing and attacking the, the baseband chips that way. Yes, I mean, this whole point... So there's two ways of attacking the baseband. You attack it from the front side or the back side. I, I consider the, the side that I was coming from is not the network side. So I consider that the, sort of the, the front side. <laughs> I guess it's all your perspective. Um, <laughs> but there's two different way, there are two different uh, ways for data to come in through, through the through the phone or through the network. Um, so we've always targeted through the phone because that's what we're in control of. That's what we can trick the baseband uh, with unexpected input because we can send it from the CPU, from the, from the main CPU. We don't have control over the network. So, so you're assuming, you know, like, okay, if I can get someone to execute this through iOS, uh, I might be able to start messing with the, the baseband chipset. Yeah, I mean, it's... A, it's, it's um, because I know governments get excited about this stuff because they can get control of the actual cell towers and stuff if they need to, if you're talking about warranted interception and stuff like that. But this is more like um, owning baseband's for the common man sort of thing? No, I mean, there is no, there's no consumer-friendly reason to, <laughs> to do this, right? It's all about surveillance, basically. It's all about um, tracking and surveillance. And there's a huge, there's a huge um, uh, paying clientele for that sort of thing, right? Um, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't voluntarily subject yourself to to a network attack, uh, and you'd, uh, most people wouldn't even think about that, but uh, it, it's, it's almost exclusively for surveillance and, and monitoring. So what is an attack against a Qualcomm, I mean, I know iPhone, uh, iPhone's your specialty, what is an attack on a Qualcomm uh, uh, baseband chipset via the iPhone OS actually look like? How, how do you actually get there? Through the OS? Yeah. Um, well, there are some management things that the, the main CPU has to do. It, it, the baseband is not just completely free running, right? There is some communication that has to happen. Otherwise, you're not going to get your SMSs. You're not going to get your, your voice, uh, sort of the data to come through. So there is a, a standard set, and it's a very complex standard. It's, it's uh, many... I was just in your talk. I mean, it's, yeah. No, I mean, the specs, the GSM specs themselves oh, okay, uh, right. are, are similarly uh, long, but it, it's, it's basically the entire, the entire AT command set, what you can do 
from the CPU side to work with the baseband. All that was spec'd out uh, a very long time ago. So all the bugs that exist right there are just, they're just very old bugs that have been around forever. Um, and eventually they just, we hit the point where we just, we, we exhausted all the bugs that we knew about on that side of the interface. Um, there are still a lot of them that are, that are technically in the baseband, but uh, Apple learned to uh, disable all the commands that they, they, they audited their software to figure out what commands they actually use, and they turned off all the rest. So, so you were talking like previously. I mean, what you're saying here is that you could actually attack the baseband through uh, documented functionality. It wasn't so much an issue of traditional exploitation. No, no, no. It was it was uh, poor implementations of the specs. Okay, right. So it was um, it was. It so was, there was pwnage. Yes, it was pwnage, right? It was. Okay, so say, I mean, I imagine there are still bugs, right? I mean, maybe uh, not as obvious, uh, but there are still bugs there. Say you can actually get one of these bugs to trip. I mean, what is it that you can do now? You gave an example earlier of someone who could actually turn on the microphone and then have that information relayed through the chipset, I'm guessing, to another number in the form of a phone call or something right. like that. Uh, but what does an attack look like now? I mean, what is it that you can do once you actually punch through the OS into the baseband chipset? Well, for example, if you were trying to make money, you would. Uh, a cell phone is a perfect place to um, deploy something that... Uh, uh, effectively, you know, calls, for instance, a long-distance number or calls some very expensive service that the attacker is somehow tied to the profit from, right? So if you were doing it for purely malicious purposes from our side of the, of the chip, where we traditionally want to just uh, free the carrier unlock, if you were malicious about it, you'd go off and you'd start making your calls, you'd start charging, you'd somehow try, try to profit from it. Toll, toll fraud. I mean, I, I get that. But is there anything more fun? Like, I mean, in terms of the surveillance applications, because I imagine that's where most of the research is. Like, what, what would that look like? I imagine that just switching on the mic would be a little bit tricky these days. Um, no, I mean, the mic's there. You, you, need the mic to, you need the mic to be controlled. And, and certainly if you're, if you're at the point, uh, normally, the gel, normally a, a stock iPhone itself would not let you exert that kind of control to manipulate things for the baseband. So if you're already at the point where you can craft your own messages to confuse the baseband, then you already own this side of the, of the phone, and now you're about to own that side of the phone. So if you own both sides of the phone, you can do whatever you want. I mean, you can turn on the mic, because the mic is a, is a very... There's a real reason for that. But, 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 but what if you want your badness to only be visible to the baseband chipset, I mean, for stealth purposes? Yeah, you can do that. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's actually less work to do that. Um, the, the main problem is you need it to happen every time the baseband starts up again, right? Um, so persistence is difficult, persistence is it? Is, is an, an issue, right? You don't want it to be something where you've, it, it only lasts while you're in range of this tower, right? And as soon as you go, get away from this tower that you're in control of somehow, um, the next time they, they go into power savings mode and come out, now all of a sudden your stuff is gone. That's kind of useless, right? It's, it only has a range of 500 feet, right? So, so how do you get around the persistence problem? Does that require um, actually, you know, relying on the phone, like a compromised phone OS to keep loading your badness into the, into exactly, the baseband chips? Yeah. So we modify, we, uh, modify the, the software that's meant to manage the baseband. So we, we go in there and we, we, we um, take control of it at the right point and we, we inject our own uh, crafted commands. So you have, that's why you have to own both sides. That's why you have to own this side before you can own that side. Otherwise, I guess you're following someone around with a femtocell that you're, you know, yeah. a modified femtocell <laughs> that you're trying to convince them to connect to every time that, you know, you need to screw with their baseband chips. But theoretically, I mean, that works and that gives you, I mean, persistence is still a problem, but that gives you stealth, right? Yeah, but I mean, you're not going to follow someone around. Eventually, you're going to, you're going to lose the battle because you need to not only um, convince, you need to overpower all the real cells around you. And you need really good timing for this too, right? Don't forget there's a lot of, um, you know, GPS uh, um, uh, level timing that you need very accurate time clocks, time basis for. So it's impractical to, to do that for, 
it's hard enough to get the you know a lot of people buy the the micro cells and the base stations the the uh the the software based radios um to play with their their own little setup and it it's 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 tough to get working even even when you're stationary never mind following someone around so in terms of real issues affecting you know mobile users and people worried about surveillance and things like that i mean it sounds like what you're saying is that to get persistent you know, to mess with the baseband chipset in a persistent way, you need to own the OS anyway. Uh, for it to be persistent, there needs to be something in the phone's main memory. So chances are, uh, you know, if you're using, say, some fictional bit of phone security software that works really well, uh, chances are the OS will be able to detect and see this stuff. That's the most likely scenario. I can think of some ways that you could keep persistence without owning the OS, right? Because you do, at the end of the day... you you want to be able to control some kind of input to the baseband. So if you had one way to come in from the network to inject your stuff, and then you, for instance, you had a way to uh, mangle the tokens in, in the flash, right? That it, the baseband needs to read these tokens to figure out who you are at, every time it starts up. If you're able to you know, uh, take advantage of an exploit there where you've taken control because you've crafted the, re the, the flash in some way, then it's enough to just inject your stuff once, uh, do what you need to do to massage the flash, and then be gone with it. That would be a persistent kind of a, of a, of a network-only side bug that the OS would have no idea was there. Would you anticipate that we're going to see stuff like this in the wild? Oh, I think this stuff is out there. I think it's always been out there in the wild. I know there's a market for the, for the network side kind of exploit. Um, whether or not it's persistent, you know, a lot of times maybe you're not following someone around, but if you can sit outside someone's house, you know, and and uh, you know target them for a specific amount of time, then that's. But there's a big market for that, and I know I know there's a I know there's a very high-paying market for that kind of thing. So, who would you expect should bear most responsibility fixing this? Is it the phone vendors like Apple and uh, you know Samsung and whatever, or is it actually Qualcomm? It's neither. I mean, it, it's um. Well, I can't say it's neither. No. The it's it's the problem is you have legacy code you have very old you have very old code that that's trying to implement very old standard and you're still trying to add features to it too, uh, so it's not static code that um, you might be able to analyze with one audit get all the bugs out and be done with it. I mean Apple is not content with the stock uh, baseband they come in and modify it themselves right. A lot of the bugs that we we took advantage of um, were Apple bugs not not Infineon bugs. At the end of the day, uh, so you know. <laughs> You know, Apple's under time pressure to get things out. I think Infineon's under time pressure to get things out. I think, you know, they do a reasonable job to, to prevent, you know, the vast majority of things from going wrong. All right, well, Eric, muscle nerd McDonald, uh, pleasure to chat to you. Thanks for joining us. Sure. Thank you.